Welcome to Dayton Warcry Club. I'm Warren, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, Zach and Dave. It's been a while since we've gotten together to record, and there's a ton we want to talk about with regards to the new edition of Warcry. Join us for a deep dive into some of the stats in the new edition and get some new insights into how the game has changed and how you might want to build your warbands going forward. Plus, there are a ton of upcoming local events we want to get the word out on. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, it's good. It's going. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been, uh, I recorded with Fred after Gen Con, and that was over a month ago, I think. Uh, since then, we had a we had a local event. Uh, I went to Nova, went on vacation, got COVID, recovered from COVID. But uh, yeah, we're getting back in the swing of things here, and so this is almost like a soft reboot of uh, of the uh, podcast. There, we, I changed the uh, the logo a little bit, and uh, got a, a got a production note as well. So we'd like to welcome all of our new listeners on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Although we still primarily live on YouTube, and we're going to continue to use YouTube for the visual aspect of our presentation. We've had a lot of requests to put the audio out on a podcast platform, especially since a lot of our episodes trend at an hour or more. So there's more ways to enjoy us if you just want to listen to us while hobbying, on a long drive, or whatever. So what we're going to try to do here is adjust to narrate a little bit more of the slide content wherever applicable. Does this sound like a plan? Sounds good. Sounds great. So uh, we'll cover uh, we'll cover you know what's happened here in the last uh, month or so with our hobby update. So we have a lot of math that we're going to discuss as well. So we're going to give a very brief stat introduction to kind of talk a little bit about um, some of the stats that we'll look at and give an introduction to the spreadsheet that we use to calculate things. We're going to use that spreadsheet and some recent lists from Nova to kind of illustrate what's new in 2.0. Uh, some of the biggest changes, and these already got talked about on previous podcasts, uh, you know, monsters, heroes, and thralls being more widespread in the game. We've also noticed in the data, there's some big differences between uh, fast models and slow models. And we've also seen that there's kind of been a resurgence of good mid-range models as well. So we'll talk about all that and uh, and then kind of wrap things up. And then we'll also talk about upcoming events because Ohio's turned out to be a little hotbed of uh, war cry activity. So uh, without any further ado here, uh, hobby update. So this was, when did we do this? End of August? Yeah, it was end of August, right before, right before Nova. Mm-hmm. And we had a, uh, a war cry meetup at uh, Epic Loot in Centerville. And we got 13 people to show up. Um, either experienced Warcry players, folks that played a little bit of first edition and uh, were relearning the game, and folks just interested in the game as well. And uh, you guys are both there. What was your guys' uh, impression from the event? Uh, I was very impressed with how many people showed up. Um, I was not expecting... I was expecting our core group plus like four, maybe. And I brought my yeah. son, so him included in there. But there was like yeah, 14 I think or 15 I, people. I think... Plus four would have been like optimistic originally for me, and then, yeah, yeah, I was, out. I was shocked because I'm trying. Uh, I was expecting it to be very small and informal, and I was like, oh geez, these people are expecting me to, to, to talk about what we're all going to do and stuff. And so, uh, I was a little, I was a little unprepared, 
but we're doing another one and I'll be a little bit more prepared for this one. But uh, we had we had our, our boards out there on the on the left. Zach, tell us about uh, that uh, that great looking piece of uh, GER terrain. Nothing like peer pressure to get you to paint things quickly. Um, so I got part of GER terrain painted up. Um, the colors I'm pretty happy with. Uh, I'm going to be looking still to add some. I actually want foliage on my terrain. I really, 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 really didn't want a another brown board. So we're going to be adding some tufts of grass and some foliage to the trees and hopefully build it out a little bit more um, lush. So I was, I'm very happy with how it turned out. Um, I did use speed paints on the terrain and that um, took down my need to go back and do a lot of dry brushing. I was very happy with how it turned out. So and that was that was your terrain project and then the next box that'll be mine. So hopefully I'll be able to be able to do it fairly efficiently, kind of like following the same recipe. No, I can I can say this because none of it is mine. All of the terrain that we play on looks great. You guys do a great job with your terrain. You you put the effort in and it shows. That's because I never bring my shattered storm vault out because it looks awful. Well, we all we all have the things in the back of the closet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and see, uh, speaking of grid looking terrain, uh, so I went to Nova Thursday. I get there and I do some coverage for the competitive tournament on Discord. And I also got to hang out with uh, Justin, the guy who won, and then also Dan, also known as the Salty Sea. Uh, got to spend actually a fair amount of time hanging out with both of them that entire weekend. And, uh, and then actually, you know, we did, that's where we arranged that collaboration. So, uh, the following week, uh, I was still on vacation, but, uh, you were on with me and we got to be guests on, uh, the Salty Seas channel. Yeah, it was a good time. Um, an honor. I hope we provided some valuable insights and maybe a little bit of inane chatter, but it is what it is. Yeah, I was I was sick for a week afterwards, and so I actually didn't go back and listen to it for a while. But yeah, I thought uh, I, again, I was a great time and honored to be on. Uh, if you're if you're listening to this channel, chances are probably you've heard of the Salty Sea. We'll put a link to that uh, video here in the description as well, though, just in case. And um, yeah, and we talked a lot about you know the the results from that uh, tournament. So some of the things we'll kind of readdress here talking about monsters and soup lists and stuff like that before we get into some of the other like underlying stats. And hopefully Dan will will return the favor and we'll have him on a future episode as well. It's something I've always kind of wanted to have, you know, to try to do uh, when we got the channel started. But I kind of want to make sure that we're kind of like, you know, this thing actually kind of took off a little bit before we we asked him. And I think we have a good opportunity now. So absolutely. And while I couldn't make it there in time to play the tournament, I played a narrative event on Saturday. So I played Untamed Beasts uh, because I didn't necessarily, I didn't have uh, my models painted up that I wanted to actually, for the warband I actually wanted to play for Skaven on Saturday. So uh, they played all right. I won one game and lost three. It wasn't the, gra the gray showing there, but it was a narrative event. And so I just sort of like turned my brain off and just was there to kind of have fun. I probably one of the games I probably could have won, 
um, if it had gone another turn, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, it was it was interesting. A lot. It was a lot of war cry, though. We're, we're flipping up cards and you could flip up a card and uh, just kind of lose because of the way that the uh, the mission turned out. So that was that sort of was what it was. But it was it was a chance to get to play some war cry. Um, I had more pictures of the of the uh, scenery. The uh, the TO did a great job uh, painting all the terrain, densely populated boards there. And then uh, see, talk about what else we're working on. So, Zach, what's on your painting table? Yeah, so uh, I've had the 3D printer fired up and running pretty hot. Um, uh, on the left, we got um, a Chaos Gargant. It's a, uh, these are all third-party models. They're not GW plastic. Um, uh, to the next to the, the Chaos Gargant is uh, what was listed on one-page rules as a Cygor. I've come to learn that the, the GW Cygor is actually significantly bigger. Um, however, it's still pretty large compared to other units that are, um, you know, that you'd normally play on a worker table. So, like, um, the the gray guys to the right of the Cygor are my proxies for Liberators um, and Liberator Prime and a Lord Celestin. Yeah, those are, I don't remember exactly what model series that is, but they're, they're pretty cool looking. Um, and then I have a flesh hound there that I had finished. He might have been pictured previously. And then on the right, I have um, one page rules beastmen and a single um, a slaughter priest with two weapons. Um, those are all printed up um, on the 3D printer. And I'm happy with how they look. They are very much not in the same vein as uh, GW's beastmen. They're very um, feline based as opposed to bullvine based so you know it's it's definitely a different vibe um but they're pretty cool looking they've got good detail so going forward then you so see you're looking at expanding out into <clears throat> stormcast and beast of chaos then looks like um pretty much just what i could print i was i'm not going to be these are going to be like one and done factions mm-hmm. um i'm not really looking to take them much further out than what i've got pictured here like build them like going wide in the faction just like have something just to kind of have it or have it for D. well yeah i mean everything that i printed um is playable on the D table as well so um nothing here is super specific to uh games workshop games only so uh, i like i like being able to run things off that are um, playable in both scenarios okay and then finally, what do we have here, Dave? That is my Chimera. So the arms race has already begun. People building monsters. We got Gargants. We got Cygors. You're building a Chimera. I think Fred has a Terrorgeist he built already. Mm-hmm. And I think he has a Chimera as well. He also has he a has Chaos a Gargant. Gargant, yeah. Yep. He's had the Gargant, I think. So the real question is, what monster are you going to build, Warren? I'm looking at a Terrorgeist and a Chimera. I'm not sure of the order, though. Um, my project, so I haven't done any hobbying since before Gen Con. I've been completely slacking. Uh, but the first order of business is I need, I need to actually get a, a Skaven Warband that's, that's painted and legal for 2.0 with the models I want. So I have a Deathmaster 
and I have a uh, a one extra model I can use as a storm vermin, and that would be a pretty quick way to get my my current Skaven warband uh, updated for 2.0. And I think that's a pretty solid list. We'll talk a little bit about it here a little bit later in in the uh, podcast. Hey, uh, Hell Pit Abomination's a pretty good Skaven monster, you know. Just saying. I think the <clears throat> I think the Chimera is clearly the best one. By a by a long shot, and you'll see that you'll see that the numbers, uh, the numbers bear that out. There's, uh, I think you'd have to have a very good reason to not play uh, a Chimera. Yeah, it's it's a darn shame though because I'm so slow. Like I could have had Skaven ready to play at Nova, but and all I had to do was paint two models, and I couldn't even do that. And so. You know, once we get this this podcast episode done, get this kind of out the door, and I have a few other things I'm trying to do at home, just trying to like purge some old, you know, pur- purge some board games and and some other the, some of the gray plastic here. That I got have to kind of take care of that as well. Then I'll finally get back to hobbying. So the intent here is to be, get back into hobbying to at least have like a playable warband. And then after that, um, there's a couple other things I need to finish up on existing warbands and then i can start building them out a little bit more with monsters and there's three more warbands i want to do in uh 2.0 or at least or complete i've been feeling the the struggle to to paint specifically i have a lot of primed and unpainted plastic and by a lot i mean like like a hundred something units if you count legion like i've got got (laughs) a lot of halfway painted plastic and it's not that bad off but i have probably a couple dozen things laying around that need to be i got a lot of stuff that's on sprue and that's that's my big thing like if i get it if i get it built in the evening if i'm work if in the evening i don't have a lot of energy like not enough to get out the paint i can build stuff just fine and that's at least something and then once it's built getting it primed isn't that bad either and then once once I get it primed, then then you might get a little bit of inertia that kind of gets you gets you moving forward, right? Because it's all about putting paint on models, and priming is the quickest way to put paint on models because you're just blasting it with a rattle can. So that's the intent. But yeah, you, the the hardest part is just getting started. And I got um, I got stuff I got to clear out here before before I get started on that. My sticking point is that's where I get stuck is primed and paint like primed primed and built models and this is where I get stuck with them. Judging from the uh, bags of uh, pre-owned minis at at Epic, uh, I don't think that's a problem. That well, that's the other thing too. I've <clears throat> I've been accumulating pre-owned minis from Epic and from uh, from Bookery as well because like ooh oh, a box of Paladins, snoo and shrink, sure. Ooh, a, a contoured epitome. I know I need that. I picked up a Gorgrunter boss uh, at Nova, you know, so I'm picking up all this stuff because I know I'm going to use it sometime. I, I know I have plans for it, but uh, I know I have I know I have plans for it, but and there's still some work that has to get done. Right. I have to, like, do some modifications on it, need to strip the paint and all that. There's it's just it's this huge, long process. But, uh, you know, until we actually get you know, working on our hobby projects, we can just do a whole ton of analysis and theory crafting, which is uh, what we've been doing a lot of in the last month, ever since 2.0 came out and then the compendium dropped. We had all those stats come out all a week before Gen Con. But uh, 
so before we get into like the math hammer and kind of look what we found in the data, we're just going to kind of give a brief introduction to the stats in Warcry. So if you're familiar with the game, you know that Warcry combat is really simple. So calculating average damage is, is pretty easy. You, you know, you can just look at, you know, you have, you know, the model's strength, you know, your number of attacks, you have your damage profile. And when we talk about a damage profile, we talk about attacks just in the order that is in the cards, attacks, strength, and then the damage, regular damage, and then crit damage. So a common damage profile you might see is four, four, two, four, four attacks, four strengths, two damage on a hit, four damage on a crit. And the one, th the other thing you need to know is opponent's toughness. And so you get a couple different values for how much damage you do versus different toughness. Uh, if you want to dig a little bit deeper into, you know, the effects of strength and toughness on your overall damage, uh, there's a YouTube video that came out way back when Warcry first came out, three years ago now, from uh, from Orchammer. We have a link here on the slide, or we'll have it in the description here, called Our Strength and Toughness Overrated. And he kind of talks about exactly like running the calculations to do average damage and talks about how you get diminishing returns on strength you get diminishing returns on high toughness um no, typically number of attacks is the way to go base damage profile also matters a lot and so you get a that was a lot of like early theory about like what makes good units good in Warcry. so at a glance you can sort of tell like okay yep this model is better than this even without having to break out a calculator or a spreadsheet. And so from there, we talked about you can compute an average damage for each toughness value. And so uh, you might hear these referred to if you watch Salty C's video, he calls it DPA3, DPA4, DPA5. That's damage per attack. So uh, looking at the uh, looking at the numbers here, right? The top guy, the top and the top line, we have a grave guard with great blade, and we'd expect it to do five damage per attack to a toughness three five damage per attack for toughness four four damage per attack to toughness five and that's easy to figure out again it's you know there's simple for every attack there's there's six different uh there's six different rolls of the dice and you know exactly what you hit on and you deal extra you do the crit damage uh on a six from there we can also calculate an effective damage number for each fighter so now that's a weighted average of the amount of damage that you're going to deal to each toughness. So uh, the the methods for determining that weighing can vary. You can look at it in terms of like if you look at all the models in the game, you could determine what are the percentage of models in the game with toughness two, three, four, five, or six, and just kind of base it off of that. Or you could use simpler numbers uh, or choose them arbitrarily. So what we've done. Uh, at least when we were doing our, all of our analysis in 1.0, we assumed that 40% of the models you would be fighting would be toughness three, 40% would be toughness four, and 20% of the models would be toughness five. And so you take those values and you multiply them times 0.4 times 0.4 and 0.2, and you come up with an effective damage. So looking at the, uh, uh, looking at the, uh, sheet here we can see all right a grave guard versus any sort of unit you can expect to do 4.8 points of damage an arcanaut with a sky pike will do 4.7 uh, a paladin with a star soul mace will do 9.6 it does an average of eight to some an average of six to some 
does an average of 10 to a lot more, but overall that weighted average is 9.6 damage. Good so far? Yep. Yeah. Um, one thing we might consider in the future, I don't know, we'll have more discussions about this, is um, maybe actually pulling the averages from somewhere else or having a discussion about what the 2.0 averages are, what we expect to see in 2.0 as far as the weighted averages go. So this is something that might be fluid here in the near future, but uh, yeah. for purposes of today's discussion, we use the weighted averages below. Yeah, a lot of a lot of folks have reported like, yeah, you know, we'll talk about mid-range models a, a little bit more here. The, there's a lot more toughness four and toughness five that's getting played nowadays. Remember 1.0, that was a lot of times where chaff ruled the world. And so, you know, essentially, if you built your warband, assuming you would be running into mostly toughness three and toughness four models, you were prop that was probably a the uh, the proper approach to take. Now, whether or not that changes in 2.0, um, that remains to be seen. And that's probably a, a deeper, longer conversation to have. Even a, a reasonable argument for adding a very small percentage of six into the mix now. Yes, I believe it's so. Very small. More, more common now, sure. It's, it's not unheard of, no. You have like storm cast with shields and stuff like that. Baron guards. Yep. So now that we've introduced effective damage then how do we determine what is the what are the best models point for point you know uh based on their based on how much they cost and so we use a value called points per effective damage to rate damage efficiency so you take the the points value and you divide it by the effective damage so this flips things around a little bit in this case lower is better um when you look at a lot of different models anything with points per effective damage less than 25 is is uh, pretty good so when we look at this is a list of all the models of the game and the most efficient models in the game so at the top of the list it's no surprise you see graveguard with great blade 13.54 uh points per effective damage they cost 65 and they're and on average they're going to deal almost five damage per attack arcanaut with sky pike armorer Paladin with Star Soul Mace. So uh, 16, you know, 16 points per effective damage. And there's a whole lot of these that are the below that 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 uh that 25 number. Uh the thing to re and this is now the thing to remember here is that damage efficiency is only part of the picture. We calculate uh average damage and damage efficiency because it's very easy to do. Um, but you could also calculate survivability. You can take into account movement, uh, the range of your weapons, your abilities. You can take all those into account when rating a fighter as well. But it gets a lot more compli com complicated after the fact. So what we're going to be talking about uh, here for uh, most of the rest of this uh, show is going to be just things kind of just based on you know, just raw damage and points per effective damage. This is where I tend to focus. Uh, I freely admit that a lot of times I will ignore units because they don't do a lot of damage when they have other uses. Um, I tend to like focus in on like I want the I want the killiest, most efficient units possible, and um, I might be missing a few things. But uh, I find that if you're if you're picking out the killiest, most efficient units that are uh, possible, then in general you're probably going to be doing okay in the game. Any thoughts on on damage efficiency? 
No, uh, just similar to you. I fall into that trap of um, I, I zero in on those um, efficient damage and points per efficient damage numbers when I'm going to build a list. Um, only after the fact that I do I look at the other numbers. Um, I've tried to, to take more of a focus on movement in recent times, but um, yeah, definitely. It's an interesting stat. It's not like like you said, it's not the whole meal. It's just uh, one piece. So moving on then, you know, now that we've kind of talked about stats here. Let's talk about some of the major changes uh, that got introduced in, in 2.0. And one of the biggest ones is the addition of monsters to match play. And then also the, the ability to take two heroes now in addition to your leader. And then also the ability to have thralls. And so monsters we'll talk about first. Um, this is the, uh, the second place Nova list, uh, an abhorred ghoul king a Crypt Horror, uh, a Terror Geist, and five Crypt Ghouls. And so the Crypt Horror and the Ghoul King, they work together. There's the Chosen of the King ability. The Terror Geist, is, is, it's, it's in its own group, and then you have a bunch of Crypt Ghouls to kind of fill it out. And so you have eight models total. Uh, you have a fair number of, of units to kind of wait out activations, and then you can have your Terror Geist kind of go last and tear stuff up now that uh, – and, and, tear, and tear units up when they can't react to it or run away. And uh, here on the uh, right, we have we show a list of these are the hardest hitting models in the game. So we just looked at effective damage and we just sorted from from high to low. And here you can see the, the chimera is like on top. A, an, un, an unwounded chimera is going to do an average of 25 damage to pretty much any target. Toughness three, four, or five. It does a little bit less to toughness six, but per attack, it's going to deal 25 points of damage per attack if it's unwounded. And then no, the number two unit on the list is a Chimera with 10 with ten or more wounds on it. I find that very funny. Yes. And then the Gorgon is next, a little bit less than that. And then an unwounded, or an unwounded Gorgon, and then a wounded Gorgon, and then the Zombie Dragon. And so... What we see here is, you know, the top, uh, almost the, all the top 10 models in the game in terms of raw damage are monsters. And you'd expect that because they're so expensive. But then you also look at the efficiency. They are, the Chimera is also ridiculously efficient. 15.6 uh, points per effective damage. I actually didn't include it in the previous slide. Yeah, I didn't include the monsters in the previous slide because... When you look at damage efficiency, the monsters throw off they throw off your data so much. And so oftentimes what I'll do when using a spreadsheet is I'll just I'm just going to hide the monsters. If I'm gonna build a monster list, I'm gonna pick my monster and then I'm going to just you know hide all the monsters and try to build the list around that. Yeah, they are data warping um, for sure. We had to add a whole classification for monsters, heroes, and thralls when 2.0 came out and for monsters especially, it was actually important to be able to get good data. Uh, there's a couple other places I want to sort them out on our spreadsheet, actually. Um, just in the, the generic averages, I want to remove monsters and haven't gotten to that yet. Yep. And the other thing to keep in mind is that that's, you know, when you look at the damage on a Chimera dealing 25 points of damage per attack, that 25 points of damage is it, you remember that monsters get three activations per round with one attack each. Most other units only get two actions per round. Chimeras get three. 
all the monsters get three. And so when you look at that efficiency, uh, that efficiency is effectively even lower because they get an extra attack. So if you, you know, let's say you, you planted a chimera around three different units, you could deal that much damage to three different units in one round. Well, I mean, if you think about it, you're up, say you're up against a bespoke warband, they're statistically they're one shotting three. You'll one shot everything. You'll one shot the leaders. You'll one shot everything. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. And you know the reports from Nova, uh, talking with Jason, uh, he had a he had a hard fight versus Salty in, in his one loss to Salty, but he dominated. The terror guys dominated the rest of the games that he played at Nova. And this doesn't even touch upon the fact that they also get to use three abilities around. Yep, they have the abilities as well. And they have the generic monster, the generic monster triple for Dragon Maul, which pulls the unit in. So you do a lot of times you even have to waste and uh, one of your activations to get into range of something. I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing um, tos have um, house rules for no monsters, even though yeah. Games Workshop has added them into 2.0, just uh, just because they're going to be warping. Yeah, and this is something I talked about. This is something I talked about on Salty Seas channel as well, right? I'm, I'm, I'm. I don't want to like ban them. I want to see, I want to see them in action a little bit more before kind of making that decision and kind of see what other tos do. It might require like, yeah, you know, gentlemen's agreement saying, all right, yeah, no monsters. Let's play some good, honest war cry. Yeah, I, I don't know. A lot of times, I'm in favor of just, you know, just letting people play what they want to play but in this case like if monsters are creating like an unfun play environment for new players right if it's not a, if it's if it's not a good play experience you know they tend to warp the game around them like you know if you handle the monster you win if you don't you lose you know if that's something i don't want to promote then yeah then maybe the what we wind up doing is we wind up you know banning monsters i don't know i, I still want to wait and see and then we, you know, everyone building monsters. We're gonna find out sooner or later here. Gonna, it's a real danger turning into the uh, Kong versus Zilla meta. <laughs> yes, yeah, monster meta. Which something like that has its place if that's what everybody knows what they were doing, but it does add a price point to the game. Um, one of the allures of Warcry is that it's generally pretty affordable affordable to get into. But if you slap a uh, $50, you know, throw $50 Monster, yeah, that, as the requirement for entry, list. yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's going to deter some some number of people from jump, jumping into the game, so. A lot of them are also not that easy to find. Probably have to special, I had a special order, the Camara, and I think a lot of them. Yeah, if you're just looking locally or something like that. But, uh, and then another thing, so... So the monsters are one thing here. And another thing that a lot of folks might be are kind of talking about online, might be kind of concerned about is like um, soup lists. So the heroes and thralls. And so, again, we talked about on uh, Salty Seas channel, we talked about uh, Justin Norton's Gloom Spike Gets list, how he sort of broke the game by he used, you know, a handful of Gloom Spike Gets models, but used two hero slots for allies and a thrall to use some some big hard-hitting tough uh, iron jaws and a trogoth to kind of back his list up so uh, you kind of look at this in comparison 
to, you know, the old Gloom Spike gets list that used squig hoppers and squig hopper bosses. And you can see the comparison here, right? The Gorgrunta boss has 40 hit points and the Orc Mega Boss has 35. Even a Trogoth has like 28 hit points. Look at squig hoppers. Squig hoppers are just a 4424 now with 15 hit points. They used to be really scary. Now they still hit okay. 4424 is like a medium profile, and 50, but in 15 hit points is easily able to be dealt with. Even a squig hopper boss, 5424 with 20 hit points. What's about this list is that he took a moon clan boss. And the reason he took a moon clan boss is because that's the cheapest gloom spike gets leader you can take so it's not hmm. even about it's about minimizing how many gloom spike gets yes you can take and then the stabbers with nets i feel like those are just fill he's just so i mean in. the stabbers i mean the stabbers with nets have a, have a good ability the brugit has a good ability too we talked about that like it the list is actually really really well designed because like he has uses for his doubles but uh, you know, even though they're even though they're the the netas are are cannon fodder, they still do stuff. For uh, sure. They, and then also, your three um, power projection units are not boom spike gets units. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, the vast majority of the points, right? Seven hundred of a thousand of out of a thousand points in that list are are uh, iron jaws or trogoths. Um, if you if you actually if you want to take another look at a soup list, right, the KO list that Salty played is also kind of a soup list, right? He had uh, a handful of uh, a handful of Arcanauts. He had one Mizzen Master and they had a Tempest Eye ally that he was bringing in and then also had a uh, a Thundercat um, as a as a fast mobile hammer as well. So he, so he's kind of doing that as he's he was kind of doing that same thing as well. Uh, using that combination and so and here this is people are, are saying this is a problem i'm not necessarily sure this is a problem again i'm all for having tons of options and i'd be interested to see you know what other soup lists are possible right if you pick a faction with a good with a good reaction and kind of like you know build around that or if you pick a faction with maybe like a very very good cheap chaff model and you sort of build around that and then fill out the rest with uh some of like your best in class heroes what you what could you do with those sure uh, i do understand the other side of the coin though um there's a saying that limitation actually breeds creativity so when everything's an option um then the meta can become solved right you know um because if you know if we if we define a Gorgrunta boss with a pig iron chopper as you know one of the best units in destruction, right. when when you're not taking it at a certain point, if you have it, it just becomes less efficient. So I I think there's probably some 1.0 is way more limited and 2.0 is significantly more open. Um, I don't know, maybe we'll see a 2.5 where they draw some of this back, but. There's not enough data really yet to see if this is a problem. Um, and usually when you have something new like this rolled out where rules changes um, open the floodgates, people are going to jump on that if they have the capacity to do so. Um, and they might, you know, whittle those down, whittle those options down um, and find things that work better in faction. Um, but, you know, when you have new options, you tend to want to try those new options as soon as possible. So. I mean, and these are things, you know, these are things that are kind of like, you know, easy to see. 
with uh, the changes in 2.0. But now, after going in and looking at all the fighter stats here, let's take a look a little bit more into the data here. So let's look at the points changes. And so it's it's easy to see that move three units got buffed. They become incredibly more efficient in return for them only having move three. So again, bringing up, so this is with, uh, so this is monsters excluded uh, in the data. And this is all of the most efficient point for point fighters in the game uh, of any movement. Uh, we got a couple of them there with, with move four. You have a pit fighter with punch dagger from uh, Spire Tyrants, Fireborn with Chris, uh, a little bit further down the list. But the the vast majority of the most efficient units in the game are all move three, and it's it's not even it's not even close. Graveguard with Great Blade, Arcanaut with Sky Pike, your your little buddy the Armiter, Paladin with Star Souled Mace, Frenzied Rager, who is another dwarf from the Spire Tyrants, and so. Uh, they're the most efficient fighters in the game. And then when you start looking at points efficiency, they, you see that they're in a category all of their own. It, this is another this is another area in the spreadsheet where oftentimes I have to filter out. Like just I'm going to filter out all the move three models because they're, they're so efficient that if I'm that if I'm picking the most efficient models in the game, I have no choice but to take them. But you have to wind up building around them. You know, you need ways to work around it. And so one of the things is that the people have figured out is to, to work around it. There's the abilities that boost your movement. And so like, for example, iron jaws all move three, but they have a, uh, a triple uh, called Wa that lets them, lets them move half the ability of the, uh, of the value. So that one's, so some of them got, got nerfed like Wa to half the value, but a couple of them are still as written still work for the full value bringer of death from flesh eater courts uh it's kind of confusing it says rounding up but it doesn't say anything about having it so as written most folks will probably rule that bringer of death is going to give you know up to six inches of movement to your grave guard if you have a flesh eater courts ally or the uh the tempest eye ally swift as the wind uh clearly says that it can give up to six inches of movement to uh to nearby fighters. I'm really confused about Bringer of Death um, in that our dice don't have um, hat, like they're all whole numbers. Yes. So why is rounding up relevant thing? So Games Workshop is bad at writing rules. They're bad at proofreading. They're bad at templating. Um, you know, think, you know, you look at how well magic cards are written. They're all clearly templated. There's there's clear rules for everything. Games Workshop's like the exact opposite. So, you know, as it reads, I'll just read this here. Until the end of the battle round, add the value of the ability rounding up to the move characteristic of friendly fighters while they move, make a move action, which starts within six inches of this fighter. So here you wind up in this whole conundrum, right? Like as written, it does, it says nothing about having it, but it says rounding up. Now you can make, you could interpret this, you know, it, using a rules rules as intended sort of thing, saying if they put rounding up in there, then obviously they intended it to be half because uh, Wa got cut to half. That makes sense. But then, but then Swift as the Wind didn't get touched at all. Mm. So I have no idea what the uh, I have no idea what the intent here is. Yeah, you know, if you know, did they 
they obviously realized that Wah was too good, so they nerfed it. Bringer of Death, they thought about it, or maybe went back and forth on it. Swift as the Wind, they may have just completely forgotten about. I don't know. But the thing is, there's no consistency here. The the one thing that's consistent is that move three models are like, you know, by far the most efficient ones in the game to the point where like some folks online are saying, hey, they're oppressive, like Graveguard or oppressive or just having just that model advantage and just having, you know, multiple uh, multiple instances of even counter being uh, being a uh, uh, problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about that, but I do know that this lack of consistency, I find this kind of kind of disturbing. Yeah, I mean, it'd be it'd be better off if they had some way that they would push out erratas. I've I'm not that experienced with Games Workshop still, um, so I don't know if they do something like that. Um, but they've so they they've they've done it a little bit for Warcry. There was errata to like the cover rules, and there was a little bit of errata uh, back when the game first came out. Because you remember in the in the original starter, right? The cover rule was completely like nonsensical because there was mm. like a lot of text missing. So I mean, we did get a little bit of errata there. The way that they're treating Warcry now, how they're treating it like Kill Team Twenty One, gives me hope that we're gonna get like a, a you know that level of support where we get you know FAQs and erratas to you know at least to this this two point Heart of Gura box set, if not you know. FAQ and errata for you know you know the quarterly uh, releases that are coming after that since we're getting a quarterly release schedule and getting that kill team treatment. Mm-hmm. Kill team goes so far as to do a uh, a quarterly balance slate update as well. Well, they'll they will do things like they will they can't change point values, but they can say, all right, this team gets an extra model. Uh, this team uh, gets. Uh, the ability to use uh, this weapon now or something like that. And they've made some or or, or uh, this model has this model has two more hit points or one more hit point. They will they will straight up do balance balance changes that way in order to create and promote a competitive environment. I don't think Warcry is that game that needs a you know that needs a, a super balanced competitive environment. I don't think that's GW's intent with the game. But it certainly would be nice to kind of get that level of support for misprints and, you know, just some consistency across the board here. Agreed. Now, if you want to see an example of this, we have a list that actually uh, Salty didn't cover in his in his channel, but uh, I got to see in action. So Justin, the guy that uh, won the Nova competitive event, he played narrative and he played this. He, he said he played this for fun. But I think he just smashed everybody with this, and so uh, he he had a monster list he was gonna tr- he was gonna play as well. But Justin is like one of the best warband builders out there, probably the best warband builder in the game. I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again. And so what he uh, what he's built here is he's taken the the graveguard spam to the most to the most efficient to the to the most effective extreme. So his list has. Vampire Lord is a leader, a fairly decent leader with flying. Uh, his allying in two Crypt Ghasts. So instead of using a, a, uh, an abhorred Ghoul King from Flesh Eater Quartz, he's choosing an even, he's choosing the cheapest uh, Flesh Eater Quartz hero that he can for an ally just to give that, um, just to give that movement buff. And then he has nine Graveguard. So 
He has uh, seven with Great Blade, and then just to get the points, he has a couple of them with Sword and Shield. And Sword and Shield actually still pretty efficient there as well. Uh, like top ten. Yeah, still top ten because I mean they're they're fifty five points as opposed to sixty five points. They don't have that two four damage, but they're still very very good. Uh, yeah, to a total of twelve models, three deployment groups. Uh, the Vampire Lord is pretty quick, and then you're gonna have two groups and remember that they're going you know if you have triple sixes that is a a plus six movement as written right now mm. and so they're getting across the board uh and that is a a, a murder ball of grave guard right the crypt gas is going to have uh probably three along with him looking at the groups yep each crypt gas is going to have three grave guard with a great blade going along with it yikes Super solid looking list. And the, if you wanted to test against probably um, a top tier uh, Soulbreak Bravelers list, this has to definitely be in the running uh, for an archetype. So we talked about a monster list. We talked about a, a good soup list. Um, if you if you look at the game in terms of like st the strongest archetypes, Soulbreak Gravelord, Graveguard spam, uh, this is probably a list you want to probably uh, be uh, cognizant of. Mm. Good to know. And so on the other side, though, so we all saw that fast, fast models got nerfed as well. So they got points increases. They had a few other decreases across the board. Maybe they lost some hit points. Maybe they lost some strength. Uh, it kind of depended on the model. So I'm going to contrast this. I'm going to contrast the uh, the move three with the, the movement five and the movement six models. Uh, actually, I'm, here I'm looking at just the movement six models here, and you, here you can see I have uh, I've chosen all of the movement six and above models, and I'm looking at the most efficient ones there. And now there's still a few of them with good efficiency, that you know less than that 25 number that we are looking at. Serpents have uh, have a points per effective damage of uh, 20. Warp grinder, plague monks are at, with double blades are still pretty efficient. Uh, the Shroud Blade with Swords from Canaanite Shadowstalkers. Yeah, Canaanite Shadowstalkers. Uh, pretty efficient. Doom Flare, Spider Swarms. So you have some pretty damaging units that are fast. So what we saw when we were looking at the data is that if you're, if you're, you know, move four is still kind of like the average. If you remove four, they're probably, you probably didn't go up or down in price at all. Um, if you remove five, you might have paid a little bit more for your move five models to get that one extra inch of movement. Um, once you start getting to move six, you start paying a lot more for your movement. And it really you really start to kind of see it in these damage efficiency numbers because there's not very many of them that are that are below 25. And then you start getting above 25. You have things like the Shroud Queen, which is probably one of the better Canine Shadowstalkers models. Um, Deals an average of 7.8 damage, um, damage efficiency of 26.8. Tends to be a hero compared to some of the others that aren't. Mm -hmm. But you did like the Death Master on here too. Yep, the Death Master has a whole extra inch of movement, hmm. actually, and still pretty good. And the Plague Monks are good on here too, um, but their their points. We'll kind of talk a little bit about you know expensive chaff. Um, some of these uh, these units on the list, like serpents, like uh, plague monks, in my opinion, shroud blades potentially, um, they might deal a lot of damage, but they might have a lot of their drawbacks though. 
Um, they might be fast, they might be cheap, they might be efficient, or they might be glass cannons. And so, uh, and then this is only looking at the movement six models. If you looked at movement eight models, if you looked at flyers, move 10 flyers, move 10, um, move 12 flyers, even mounted models with the, the move 10 or move eight, you're paying a lot for them too. And so when you look at all of these numbers, you can definitely see, and there's like the different brackets. You, you remember how in 1.0, we would classify a model as like a lightweight, a chaff unit, or a middleweight, or a heavyweight. You can make those sort of divisions. You can almost do the same thing if you just looked at models and just divide them into bins by their movements, like movement three models going back here. Movement three models are like a class of their own. Movement fours, you could almost put all together. Movement five and movement six, you could probably put all together or maybe like separate them. And then you could also look at uh, things that are like faster than movement six and put them all in the same group. Um, you, it's another way to kind of classify models just by speed because the efficiency is inversely proportional to the speed. Which kind of calls out to um, Games Workshop stated goal for 2.0 to, to kind of apply an algorithm to the stats and, and let that work its magic. Um, and I, I feel like the game seems a lot more balanced because yep. of it. That's There's... yeah, that was in my, yeah, that I was the kind of in my final points, right? If you look mm -hmm. at it, things, the good stuff got nerfed, the bad stuff all got a lot better. And I think the difference between good and bad there's a lot smaller distance between good and bad. There's a lot more stuff that's kind of in the middle. And overall, that's a good thing. Yeah, you don't want people picking up your game and then being punished for making an aesthetics choice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> if you're going somebody... to sell the model, you better make that model at least somewhat fun to play. Yeah. Um, I, I, very, I very much felt punished by my initial purchase of, hey, we're going to start playing Warcry. I go down to the, the local hobby store and I was like, oh, these iron golems look sweet. I didn't know they were terrible. I had no idea. But now I don't feel punished by that. Yep. So put another way, though, back to the, the movement five, and the movement six models. Fast, cheap or good. You can pick two. Uh, and I think that's this, this is sort of true for the fast model for the fast models. You can have a fast and cheap model, but it might not be good. It might not do a lot of damage. Or it might not. Uh, it might not have a lot of hit points. It might be a glass cannon. Um, the cheap and good units are not fast. You can look at the move three. If they're fast and good, you can certainly be sure that they're not going to be cheap. It's a you know, it's a, an old but good metric or way to to design things to you know and build out a whole bunch of things into that metric, and it it really creates a good balance if if you have the numbers right between the three the three metrics you're measuring it can make a very balanced system yep and so i talked about this list uh, on uh, salty's channel as well but uh this so here now i've i've, I've updated the uh, the graph where i'm showing all the movement five and the movement six uh units and i'm looking at their i'm looking at their uh, effectiveness and so the uh, the mirror blade with dueling swords from cipher lords is the uh point for point uh in this range one of the most uh points efficient in the game 
for, for movement five or for movement five or uh, faster models. Uh, if you're familiar, though, I believe it's also kind of a glass cannon. Number two on that list is Storm Fiends with Doomflare Gauntlets. So even though even though they're movement five, they're still they still hit really, really hard. And uh, for 270 points, uh, you're actually still getting very, very good efficiency uh, for that. And then also Rat Ogres are also number four on the list. So again, hit very, very hard, even even more so when backed up by a Packmaster still, and have really good efficiency. And those are very much not glass cannon units. Those right. are are meaty boys. Yep. Yeah. They'll they'll uh, they'll take they'll take some hits. So the Rat Ogres and Storm Fiends, they're still good. A lot of the Skaven got penalized by that. Like Plague Monks went up another five points. Giant Rats went up a lot in points, to the point where that means they're still kind of efficient, but uh, if I'm looking at a Plague Monk, for example, if I'm paying 80 points for a Plague Monk now, it's very hard for me to spam them, and they only have eight hit points. It's very hard for me to want to try to to take to, to spend 80 points for for an eight hit point model. It's efficient, but it feels really really bad when it dies. Uh, it didn't feel nearly as bad when they were 70 points, and so. So since all those movement six models got punished uh, quite a bit, uh, the movement five models got punished less so because, you know, they're only movement five. And so the Rat Ogres stayed. And so it's uh, my opinion that Skaven is now an elite warband. I think there's a couple of good ways you can build Skaven that are around that seven, you know, around that seven model uh, uh, number. So, you know, one way to do it is, you know, I'm keeping my core of Master Molder, the two Rat Ogres. Uh, the two pack masters that uh, uh, they went up a, a little bit in price, but uh, that's that's still something you can you can absorb. And uh, I'm using a death master now, and I have a storm room with halberd to kind of fill it out. And so I have three I have three good threats. The death master's uh, a very efficient threat by himself. He has some abilities. Uh, he has a bonus move on a triple, and uh, I have a I've actually have a legitimate threat in, in all three groups. So even though I have only seven models, I feel pretty good about this list. I've played it once before. I'll be getting together uh, to play some pickup games uh, this weekend as well. Uh, not a formal event, and I want to go test this list some more. Uh, I was just, just going to say. I need a, a Doom Flayer in there. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, the Storm Fiend with Doom Flayer gauntlets. So actually, there's another list. I posted one ver. I posted it, I think, a little on Discord a little while ago, and actually someone else posted it. He'd been playing it as well and having having good success with it. Um, you could build around storm fiends as well. So you use one storm fiend with doom flare gauntlets. Use one storm fiend with a rattling cannon because I think that's the best one of the ranged storm fiends. You can fill out the rest of the warband with storm vermin. You put two with the halberd at 95 points each. And two with uh, halberd and shield at 80 points each, and you got about uh, 130 points left for a warlock engineer to be your leader. So it's kind of it's kind of in flavor there. The warlock engineer can use lead from the back on your storm vermin with the halberd and shield that only have two attacks each, and actually give them a legitimate number of attacks, and they have a good damage profile. And then you have a couple other uh, storm women just kind of hanging around your, your two storm fiends. And so that's that's seven models as well. And then you know you don't have the pack masters, but the storm fiends are effective by themselves. So another another way you could take Skaven. I'm sitting on uh, 
I'm sitting on a couple of the, of the storm fiends now, but I would actually need to get the storm vermin to kind of build that. But that's um, after I complete my current list, that's going to be the, you know, the next Skaven expansion I do is probably going to be building uh, some storm fiends. Awesome. So the other thing that we found when when looking at the when looking at all of the different models in Warcry now, it, when looking at efficiency is uh, mid range. So if you remember in 1.0, mid range was kind of a trap. You could look at you know a typical uh, 130 point fighter in 1.0, and you can compare it to two 65 point chaff models. And you almost always wanted to have the chaff models. The, the chaff models gave you extra activation. Um, they gave you more bodies to put on objectives. And the chaff, if you looked at the old 1.0 metrics, the chaff was more efficient. There was more efficient and you had two of them. And so it was, they were just better in every way. Now, uh, when we look at this list and here on the table, you can see we sorted by uh, we removed all of the movement threes because they skew everything. Uh, and we're just looking at movement four and above the most efficient units. Most of them are move four. We got a couple of those move five glass cannons in there, the storm fiends and such. But here, when we look at the most efficient units, we can see that we have a lot of them that are in that range where we wouldn't we wouldn't have taken them in 1.0. The, the the most efficient uh, mid the most efficient move four model in the game is a prey taker with blade from Untamed Beasts. Uh, 100 points, it only has 10 wounds, uh, but on average is going to deal uh, 5.6 damage per attack. Uh, so it gives it a very so it's a very good uh, efficiency rating, 17.86. The pit fighter with punch dagger, the chaff unit from Spire Tyrants. Also very, uh, also very efficient. The uh, Fireborn with Chris, 95 pointer from Scions of Flame. Uh, the bloated one with Raker Claws. So it's a little more expensive there. We've included all the points values. But the bloated one uh, from the Rottmeyer Creed, they are also really, uh, really efficient as well. I so almost 18 wounds, which is, yeah, they have, which is not neg negligible. Yeah, they have 18 wounds as well. It almost leads me to believe they may have artificially inflated the stats a little bit for like to to like to purposely make this guy like good or better than he would have been. Because mm -hmm. this when you look at his whole stat line, 18 wounds, the guy's got it all. You get the mirror blade with dueling swords. Uh, you have fireborn uh, from the uh, scions of the flame with the braziers. Uh, pit veterans with dual weapons. Uh, on the list, prey taker with axe, uh, head claimer from the from the spire tyrants. So you see all these models, 105 point models, 100 point models, 135, and they're they're from bespoke warbands too. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and but point for point, they are some of the most efficient uh, fighters in the game. They also suffered the least from the wounds. Um the wound re reallocation so like chaff it really got their wounds docked down so you know you have a 10 point a 10 wound chaff unit that goes down to eight it just lost 20 percent of its wounds mm -hmm. you know you have a 15 that goes to you know 14 or a 15 that goes to to 12 it's a smaller percentage so um it did make mid-range more playable and then the chaff 
um, it, it kind of evened out the argument for, uh, like you mentioned in 1.0, if you have 65, two 65 point chaff units, each with 10 wounds, and one 130 point mid range unit with 15, like if you need wounds on the table, if you need, you know, um, survivability as well as damage, there was just no, there was no argument there. Mm-hmm. Now there's the wounds are just down across the board in two. Mm-hmm. Most almost all the the bigger models lost five wounds. It's actually something I've been really um, keying into on list building is how can I get thirty point thirty wound units onto the table. Um, so it's yeah. definitely something I've you know keyed into. Yeah, because there's fewer of them. Yeah, there's fewer of them, and they're more. And some of the ones that are there are more expensive now. Mm-hmm. If you go further down the list, towards the bottom of this, it's still very, very good efficiency. You know, we're still below twenty for efficiency, so very good efficiency. You have blood warriors with blood axes from uh, from uh, corn mortals. If you were to go a little bit further, unplayable, completely. Yeah, yeah, they were unplayable before. Chaos warriors. Uh, would be a little bit further down the list at 120 points. Chaos Warriors with two weapons, also very efficient. Not quite on this list of top 20, but still very, very good efficiency. So if you keep on going down those lists, you're going to see more and more of these models in the like the 110, 120 point range. You know, a, a common topic between you and I, because uh, we've both been playing a lot of Slaves to Darkness since the update, is Chaos. Two Chaos Marauders with a flail is exactly one Chaos yep. Warrior with uh, two hand weapons. Yep, 120. The ratio of, you know, how many Chaos Warriors of Marauder flails has been going back and forth. Yeah, I don't know what the right answer is, right? Before, it would be a no-brainer, right? If you had the points, you would use six Marauder flails. Now, you might say the right, the right answer, and we don't know the answer yet. You know, you find out via testing. Maybe you want to have like one Chaos Warrior and four Marauder Flails, or or something like that. Maybe you you know, maybe you go tankier, right? And you you get some more, you get get some extra two Warrior or two Weapon Chaos Warriors. You might even go like two and two. Yeah. So with the removal of the mid range trap, um, it's not completely gone though. There's still a handful of units that are that are not very good. So the mid-range models are good, but you have a, you have a very awkward range, and it's probably within the like this around eighty to hundred points. And they're models that are too expensive to be good chaff models. You, you can't really spam them at eighty points, and but they have, and they have other drawbacks uh, working against them. They might have bad damage. They might be glass cannons. Where you know they're 95 points, but you know die really easily, and you don't want to be you know spending 95 points for them or having to protect them. So in this case here, we show the example. Uh, this is the Horn Shield. Uh, they got revealed uh, from the Legionnaires, and we saw this. This was the first model I think that had stats revealed for Legionnaires, and we saw it, and we're like, oh boy, these guys are not good. <laughs> uh, four four attacks, four strengths. But just a one-three damage profile for ninety-five points. Uh, when you look at when you look at what other uh, warbands get for ninety-five points, that is a very anemic damage profile. Now he has a lot of wounds. He has twelve wounds. He has five toughness, plus an, plus a bulwark ability. But at ninety-five points, there's 
other war bands are are able to, to do a, a lot more for 95 points if you think about it that's almost two arcanauts with pistols for example exactly i actually think that this is one of the biggest 2.0 changes is that there's a lot of chaff that went from being either decent or very good to maybe even unplayable um and i've had this discussion with joel a little bit um because we both play um seraphon mm -hmm. um skinks used to be uh the standard go-to unit skinks with blowpipes um i think they're almost unplayable now they are yeah you, you would just crit fish and now they cost way too much they are so squishy they're they're likely getting one-shotted all of them um so i mean we've moved on to saurus warriors for for seraphon because i think you know i've painted up a whole bunch of skinks but i think they're pretty much unplayable now and i feel like they fall into the expensive chaff um they're just yeah damage is unreliable they're very very soft and you're just going to be disappointed a lot of the time i don't have i don't have the stats out in front of me what well, how does the saurus warrior compare to like say this 95 point horn shield guy so Soros Warriors, yeah, they're a little bit better, right? Because your Skinks are 70 points, but they're just, they don't do hardly anything at all for 70 points. But for yeah. So Soros Warriors used to be unplayable, and now I think they're very playable. And Skinks used to be very playable, and now I think they're very unplayable. Yeah, they're better, right? I'm looking at the Soros Warrior with Cell Sight Club right here. Mm -hmm. Um the same profile as as this uh horn shield dude four four one three um one less toughness toughness four but only 85 points so again he's kind of in that awkward range mm -hmm. he doesn't he, you know he doesn't deal a ton of damage for 85 points but he's got 12 hit points but it's a lot more pal palatable at 85 points mm-hmm or you can get a Saurus Warrior with a spear for 90, you know, with it, you know, extra, uh, with an extra uh, point of uh, crit damage and extra range. Yeah, I definitely think so, it, it's changed up some factions completely. So fortunately, though, a lot, most warbands, you do have the option to go mid-range or elite instead. So if you have some of this expensive chaff, you could just, a lot of times, you can just kind of ignore it. And just kind of go mid-range or elite and so in, as an example here i'll stick with the chaos legionnaires um you could almost do this with one box uh you're actually one model shy of being able to do it with one box um you're going to build the horn shields uh you're actually still using a couple of the horn shields and here you can see side by side the horn shield with the sword that we talked about versus the horn shield with the mace for just five more points you get a mace with a 2-4 damage profile. Now, all of a sudden, you can see on the efficiency uh, chart here, a lot better than the than the uh, uh, the horn shield with the sword. Uh, and then likewise, the dudes with the two-handers, the horn helms with the mace, the horn helms with the axe, uh, very solid mid-range fighters with uh, damage efficiency, about 20 to 21 points for effective damage at 120, 125 points. So the list, yeah. So the list here: you have one leader, one Dukuriarch, um, one spear guy, the mutant door, the mutant door, uh, one horn helm with an axe, three with a mace, and then two horn shields with the mace. Um, 
It's a thousand points. It's eight models. That's pretty mid range right there. You can swap some loadouts too if you wanted. Like, say you wanted more guys with axes, you could maybe say take the uh, the spear guy and turn it into an axe guy, and have some points left over, uh, or maybe up or maybe bump up a mace guy into an axe guy. Um, I liked the the spear guy, the mutant door at first, but then actually when I look at the numbers, he's actually one of the one of the le- uh, least efficient guys in the warband. Um, he's 145 points. Uh, I liked him because he has that triple ability where if he makes a double move and spends a triple, he gets a free attack. Mm. So uh, I think that's a good ability. I think it's kind of cool and flavorful. Um, but by himself, and he has a movement five too, so he moves pretty quick. But uh, again, you can see you're paying for that extra movement there in terms of your efficiency. Definitely. Uh, you could also do something along the lines of, you know, if you wanted to go really in flavor, you could, you know, ally in the uh, the Centurion. And you can cut out the chaff models completely. You do something like a leader, a Centurion, um, and a couple dudes with maces, uh, a couple of the horn helms with maces, and then a couple with axes or something along those lines. But uh, yeah, a lot you can do with these mid-range with these mid-range warbands. And we, you know, we haven't even talked about like Stormcast Eternals, right? The, Mm-hmm. You know, you have a lot of six six model warbands there, and they are all very solid. You know, Actually, what you I'm can, building. Yep. You know, twenty hit points. You know, twenty wounds each is uh, is pretty solid. Um, you know, you may have to work around maybe some some slow movement there if you're going to build around like annihilators or or uh, protectors. Uh, but even like even uh, vindictors with the spears. You know, with a regular movement of four and the and their range two spears. Uh, are pretty efficient for the or not they're not terrible for the points like they used to be so this gets us to our final thoughts and so you kind of touched upon it earlier zach um it's a much more even application of points um that you know we talked about that tightening of variance between tiers um you know the good models and the bad models there's a much there's a much smaller difference between them now and mm-hmm. in part because like some of the best models in 1.0, I think they are outliers or mistakes. You remember you had spiders; they were just crazy. Um, I had you know prosecutors with grand blades or, or prosecutors with those those thunderbolt cannons or whatever. They were just they just did so much more damage. Uh, they were like no brainer picks. And now that it seems like every model is kind of following the same rules with the points. Those models are still good, but they got a big increase in points, right? You can still play a prosecutor with a grand blade, but you're paying for it now. You're paying a fair price for it. And then all the models, they, they follow the same algorithm. Uh, so even though you're still kind of limited with the bespoke warbands in terms of like your selection, because they don't have flyers, they don't often have like a lot of big guys, like 30 wound guys, they're following the same rules. They're following the same rules. They're following the same pointing system. And you can kind of see that in the uh in those mid-range you know a lot of those point for point efficient fighters are like sitting there in spire tyrants for example i actually i the thought i had was that maybe they um tweaked the algorithm slightly for the the um, bespoke warbands because they don't have those other options they might have given them like you know a small percentage of the algorithm up so any rounding errors might take them up where not rounding errors, but any rounding might like bump mm-hmm. them up more just because they're so limited. Um, and that's, I think, potentially why we see so many bespoke units at the top of 
efficiency lists. Well, they might have given them the benefit of the doubt, but then you also have to consider the fact that they still balanced all of those bespoke boxes so that if you had, like, say, one box of Corvus Cabal, it adds up to exactly a thousand points or very, very close to it. It doesn't pass a thousand points. No, it typically, it typically won't be. Uh, I think maybe in some, your probably build options, it could take you over a thousand, but generally speaking, whoever did this. Like the one I have now, that's a thousand and five points. Oh, your Corvus? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> brutal. I think there's a Canaanite Shadowstalkers build if you built Doomfire Warlocks. I think they went up pretty significantly. I think that might be an option if you if you built two of those. You might be priced out. But, but I mean, overall, I give Games Workshop a lot of grief for, for like a lot of bad game design or not, maybe not bad design, but like, you know, not really taking numbers into account or like, what are they thinking? But honestly, I really think that overall, the way that the algorithm was implemented was was done very, very, was done very, very cleanly. And I think it's actually really amazing. I agree. Uh, 2.0 isn't without its without its faults though, or without its concerns. And so we talked about monsters probably being probably the biggest concern, the biggest thing that we're going to be looking at in the future. Um, some people concerned about soup lists. You know, if, if everything kind of devolves into, you know, everything is destruction soup or maybe, you know, or order soup or, or maybe, you know, some sort of chaos soup emerges or something like that, you know, where nothing really has any sort of like uh Nothing's really defined at, the, at that point. Uh, very hard for like, you know, a one box bespoke to compete when uh, other war bands are just picking and choosing the best models from the, the, the entire Grand Alliance. Yeah, especially with like Chaos and Order being so broad. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I really feel like those are the two Grand Alliances that you're going to really see some danger from as far as soup lists go, because there's just so many options as far as heroes go. Yeah, but it's potential. That's true. Um, I've seen, well, but I mean, we also had destruction, right? Destruction mm-hmm. with, even with it's not very many number of factions, we've seen actually two different versions of destruction soup because in Oslo, Norway, there was the, the, uh, the winning list. It was Gloom Spike gets, and it had an ogre tyrant in there, you know. So instead of instead of using uh, Iron Jaws, it was using ogres as its muscle. Or there's other. Uh, I've also seen a few other, you know, neat uses of uh, of uh, heroes as allies recently, where uh, you know, allying in a a Dreadblade Harrow, for example, in death, or Nighthaunt allying in a Vargulf Courtier to make up for weaknesses in that warband. So there's some there's some pretty cool stuff, and I think we're we're only seeing the beginning of like what you can do in order to like pick and choose like say say for example you're playing a warband and you know your warband is weak in some way right your warband just doesn't deal a lot of damage or your warband has like low hit points across the board good judicious picking of allies to to bring in shores up those weaknesses and those lists that we those lists that we've seen early on have kind of like exemplified that absolutely yeah as i say one thing we didn't touch on at all really is how efficient some of the generic allies are oh that's that's true right the mind stealer uh the the myrmidon the the new uh marshall 
Yeah, I heard a lot of good things about the Centurion Marshal. I got destroyed by one in narrative. And, you know, those are available to all, all grand alliances they're available to. Yeah, the Marshal actually, the Marshal is probably a, a probably good one to talk about. Um, I mean, it's expensive, 295 points, but it fills a lot of gaps, right? If you're if your warband doesn't have access to a, a beefy unit or access to cavalry, he fills both of those uh, boxes. So that's kind of something to think about, right? Like think about a, a new way of thinking about 2.0, right? Like I need I need fighters or models that fill certain roles. Like I need something fast. I need something beefy. Um, you know, I need something uh, that with with efficient chaff killing ability, for example. Or I need maybe I, maybe I need something with an ability like a net or something. And you have these capabilities and the best lists are going to be the ones that manage to pick and choose to best come up with the best combination of capabilities uh, that they can. So the other thing that you know folks were kind of concerned about in 2.0, movement three horde lists uh, being you know potentially oppressive, you know, that the strength in activations, Graveguard being too powerful. Uh, now that now that we kind of like you know we shared Justin's secret tech for the grave guard may you know hopefully we're not gonna hopefully not gonna regret unleashing that upon the world but uh already, might get some angry comments from him guard boxes yep <laughs> buy your yeah, buy grave guard boxes stocks are going up yeah we're gonna get some am- angry emails or texts from, from Justin <laughs> <laughs> um but and so yeah there's concern about it's concerned about you know maybe they're maybe they're too strong right maybe they got buffed too much those units are too cheap you know no one else can afford to really bring 12 miles to the table anymore um i'm not sure that's an issue the one thing i mentioned before was you know that consistency and movement abilities i think if if all of the move three warbands had to play by the same rules in terms of getting additional movement if they had to spend a triple and only got half the movement i would like to see something like that first before we went back and and re and revamped all the points on the movement three and said like all right yep they're all paying five or ten more points apiece because there is there's still a definite kind of meta shaping up right like you know you, where you're like hey I'm elite or I'm mid range or no I'm a horde list and uh, you know the horde lists have a you know have a characteristic right the show the slow shambling hordes of dwarves or or, or orcs or soulblight grave lords. I think it's in flavor. There's no more hordes of rats because they're fast now. But I think you know, slow shambling hordes are in flavor for the game. They just have to kind of be brought back, you know, from being able to like turbo speed across using you know swift like the wind, for example. That also still leaves room for someone to dis- to discover in the meta a way to um, abuse people playing horde lists and capitalize on that. There's um, the game's pretty robust, so I'm not sure that there isn't an option that exists to capitalize on a horde meta if that if that is what comes to fruition. Yeah, there's a few abilities like you know, there's a few abilities like that, like AOE or something like that, maybe. Like what, eight hundred distinct models or something right now available? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ground. There's a lot of ground out there that has but then overall, and then the other thing that kind of remains to be seen. You know, I, we talked about the the shifting away from the chaff meta, right? Like there's maybe fewer toughness three and strength three models being played. 
because of this rebalancing of things. Maybe we're going to see more toughness four and more toughness five uh, across the board here. And so uh, is this something it's something we could you know potentially address in another episode is, hey, how are we going to take our algorithm and, and readdress it? Uh, and kind of make sure that we're actually still evaluating uh, fighters correctly when talking about, uh, you know, what you might uh, come across in version 2.0. The other thing we didn't cover was, you know, the higher strength and toughness models and like, you know, they have effects on reactions too. Uh, a higher toughness model uh, counters a lot better. A higher strength model is less, is less vulnerable to taking damage if someone counters it uh, or those variations. And that's another minor change. That's another change to the game that, uh, you know, where strength and toughness has kind of an effect on it. It's also one of those things that you're not going to get looking at a spreadsheet. Like you can't quanti- can't easily quantify that. Um, yeah, you have to play and observe it. Yeah. At the end of the day, you still have to roll the dice. Yep. Anything else uh, talking about uh, anything else that we uh, we might have missed? Okay, well, it's time to talk about upcoming events. So, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend, Sunday, October 2nd, at Epic Loot in Centerville, Ohio, we're having Dayton Warcry Club organized play again. We'll meet at noon. We'll probably go till 5 or 6. We may have cut out a little bit earlier last time. And here's what I got planned. So, I I actually started advertising this in, in, in Best Coast pairings. Uh, I'm going to set this thing up and I'm going to try to learn best coast pairings and we're going to start pairing people off. Now it's not going to be a fully organized tournament. Um, not going to make people stay for like, you know, not going to collect entry fees or make people stay for all the rounds and stuff like that. But we're going to keep playing. Um, I'm hoping to eventually get to like a, a, a winner, right? You know, get some people to, to stay for three rounds, maybe get a three and oh out of this. And we have some prizes to give out. So we have those organized play kits and some medals. So we're going to incentivize. We're going to try to incentivize you know, people to stick around and play a couple games. Maybe potentially get a battle report out of it you know, for the last games. You know, slow it down and record it for a battle report for, uh, for a future episode. But, uh, yeah, that's the plan for this. Um, eventually, you know, we're going to keep on doing these organized play things, and we're going to try to build towards an actual, like, tournament where, like, people, like, you know, collect entry fees, show up, maybe December time frame. And then, uh, you know, where people can actually, like, all right, yep, you guys are, you guys have been playing the game. You guys kind of know what's going on, how we do things. Like, all right, let's take the gloves off and, and really compete. So this is still going to be sort of like a, a, a casual uh, casual uh, skirmish play session. Yeah, I'm excited to to hear how it goes. Unfortunately, I got roped into uh, helping throw a birthday party for a friend, so I will not be there. My uh, terrain will be there. I'll be there. So uh, coming up in a couple weeks after that. So it got advertised. Uh, the first one got canceled at Swords and Boards in Willoughby, Ohio. That's up in the up in uh, Northeast Ohio, so around Cleveland. Um, there's uh, organized play there. Uh, I'm going to try and make it for this one. Um, so I'm probably going up on a Friday night, get, uh, get a good night's sleep, show up there. Um, that's about three weeks out. So I actually need the RSVP in best coast pairings. It also means I have to go paint my, uh, my Skaven. So, uh, I actually have incentive to do that. I need to commit to that and eventually, 
you know, get on the board there, start, you know, meet some new people there in the, in the Cleveland uh, area there. And then also we, uh, we don't have our next organized place date set up after this month, but a month from now, so our good friend Jolly from Columbus at Guard Tower East is going to run a one-day narrative event, and that's on a Saturday as well. So uh, regardless, uh, I know you're working, Dave, but uh, this one's a real quick, you know, this one's a you know easier drive for us. Uh, we can, you know, hopefully go up there and... Uh, and play some uh, Warcry narrative uh, event. And we'll talk about this one more on the next episode as well. Um, he said he's going to do a tournament pack for it. Uh, he's actually being pretty open with your with your initial Warband roster. Instead of using the normal narrative um, rules, you can actually build any sort of match play roster to start with. I think that's I think that's what he said. So we'll see what we'll see what happens with that. So you could you could start a roster with two heroes or a thrall or maybe even a monster or something like that and start and you can kind of start with that and then they're going to just you know play the rounds. I don't know if he's going to be following like the, the the core book narrative or it's going to be just a sort of I have no idea what he's going to do. But uh, you know Jolly does some some pretty good scenario design so I'm looking forward to that. Exciting. So that brings us to a close for this episode of Dayton Warcry Club. We hope you find our perspectives on this new version useful. For the next episode, we're going to follow up with even more Math Hammer, and I want to get a few other perspectives on how we evaluate models. We'll also have some results and takeaways from our next upcoming event. But in the meantime, you can catch us on the official Warcry Discord. Link is in the description. Until then, I'm War Machine. Yogmoth for Press forever. Thanks for listening. Woo, boy. <laughs> Need some water? I got outtakes galore today. I might have to edit out some of that. We'll do it live.